Today on the Travel Guys. In the travel news, it's time for summer travel. So why not talk about the angriest airports in the country? And a Las Vegas hotel theft goes big time. Those stories next in the news. Summer travel takes people to national parks and droves. And, of course, many of those parks are home to wildlife. In our Smarter Traveler segment at 320, we remind you the importance of giving the animals their distance. At 3.35, Mia Taylor from Travel Pulse joins us to give you some tips on how to be better prepared to handle delays at the airport. The Lincoln Highway Association holds its annual conference in Folsom in a couple of weeks. Did you know America's most historic highway runs right through Sacramento? Kay Shelton, president of the Lincoln Highway Association, joins us at 3.45. America's first transcontinental highway. You'll hear all about it today on The Travel Guys. On the road again. Well, happy Memorial Day weekend to you all. Thank you for joining us. This is Mark and Tom, the travel and entertainment guys, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Uh, good to have you here. I hope everything's going well for you on this holiday. Mark, uh, what's new? Uh, you got a class reunion uh, in your future? I, I do. I'm racing back and forth. I have a tour group in the middle of the country in Kansas City right now. And so... Came back here so we could get the travel guys done. And also, uh, yeah, Maraloma High School is holding uh, fifth, classes of 72 and 73. Uh, big reunion. We're taping this on Saturday, so this will have already happened by the time you hear this program on Sunday. But, uh, yeah, running back and, back and forth across the country here, uh, trying to become a 100,000-miler a in 24 hours or less. Well, you're uh, you're well on your way. What is your crew? Uh, of course, uh, your Field of Dreams trip is imminent. Uh, the folks yep. in Kansas City, what are they up to? Well, they uh, they went to the Negro Leagues Hall of Baseball Hall of Fame, uh, and now they're headed to uh, the Field of Dreams. And I hope to catch up with them sometime on Sunday afternoon. Before we get there, we're going to tour the the house that the movie was filmed in, and. Uh, it's, it's, if you're a baseball fan, there is no more special place, maybe Cooperstown, New York, which is later on in our tour. But uh, to go to the Field of Dreams is, is really the old Kevin Costner movie is, um, comes alive when you, when you go there. So I'm, I'm looking forward to catching back up to them and being a part of that visit. All right. Well, uh, we are Mark and Tom, the travel and entertainment guys. Don't forget, you can follow along and links to our special guests and much more at TravelGuysRadio.com. And at the top of every Travel Guys radio program, we bring you up to date on what's been going on in the travel news. And with the travel news, as always, Mr. Mark Hoffman. Thank you, Thomas. Uh, we talked in the headlines that we would share with you the angriest airports in the country. This actually comes from Twitter and um, finds that the airport where people are the most upset um, happen to be fairly close to each other um, down in Southern California. Orange County Airport wow. and LAX are the places that come up. 
the highest on the list. And you would and you might wonder, well, how did they come up with this idea? Well, it's how many delays are there? How many complaints are there about the airport? Um, all of this sort of stuff. So John Wayne Airport in Orange County finished first. Um, LAX is in the top five. Jacksonville, Omaha. That's kind of interesting. Mm-hmm. Tampa. But uh, for John Wayne Airport, it says noise, uh, um, <laughs> rude staff, uh, difficulty getting through TSA, large number of complaints, and large number of delays. Fascinating. So, yeah, yeah. Based on – and this because it's Twitter, of course. Mm-hmm. This is based on the percent of angry tweets in those categories <laughs> about – that airport, yeah, kind of, it's kind interesting. of interesting. That that's uh, you know, if you're flying to Disneyland, which a lot uh-huh. of folks do from from here in Northern California, uh, that puts you the closest to the park. So the you know John Wayne Airport uh, is high on that list. So yep. it, it, they're going to the happiest place on earth while they swing through the angriest airport. I think there's well, and <laughs> something to be said there. I think the I think the the, the thought. Uh, one of the reasons I'm not surprised that John Wayne would be up there is because, Tom, it's a smaller airport yeah. that has outgrown its ability to handle the traffic that the number of people who want to use it. Right. And it's locked in. It can't really they, they, they can't really expand the airport very much. Um, they're not going to put down a new runway or a huge new terminal and accommodate a lot more flights. Um, Long Beach Airport. Came became more has become more prominent in the last fifteen twenty years, and that has helped take some of the uh, some of the stress off of Orange County. And if you're going to, Orange, to to Southern California, you mentioned Disneyland. If Orange County didn't meet your meet your qualifications, or you might just find that one of the Southwest flights into Long Beach might be more convenient for you. Long Beach is a really small airport, is but it, once again, is it ever <laughs> yeah, the, the amount of traffic is outstripping these little airports ability the secondary airports ability to handle them and i just passed through lax on uh, friday morning it was pretty it was actually pretty quiet on friday uh going to kansas city and then saturday coming back here um admittedly i was flying at a very early hour as i'll be doing on uh, on sunday morning uh but anyway just a reminder to the folks who are listening that uh today's program was taped on saturday afternoon so if anything exciting in the world of travel happens after that, we didn't know about it. This is something that happened before then, though. The La- a Las Vegas hotel housekeeper is accused of stealing a million dollars worth of jewelry. Um, it happened on the Strip on May the 7th. I'm not going to name the, the hotel, um, but this is a housekeeper who faces charges of grand larceny, residential bur- burglary, I'm not sure why it would be residential burglary, but and conspiracy to s- commit burglary after stealing watches, braces, bracelets, and diamond jewelry. Suddenly I can't talk. Um, <laughs> this is, uh, huh, well, and, and uh, this, this housekeeper was hired by the hotel eight months ago. No mention of whether the stolen property will be returned. We will, we will stay after this and get you an update um, next week, because this will be of interest to everybody, especially the person who might have the stolen property. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I saw 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 her uh, her mugshot. Uh, uh-huh. I, I, she didn't look familiar. So I, not that was good to not know. Not everybody in Las Vegas goes home a loser, as she has <laughs> as she has proven. Uh, United Airlines wants you to know that they have expanded 
connections in Denver this summer to include a lot of secondary cities. They've got some new gates, and so they're expanding their operation there. United is the biggest uh, airline in Denver. I noticed as I was passing through there this morning, Tom, a flight to Eureka Arcata Airport going out um, later in the morning. So, indeed, United is now serving some places that they may not have served before. So if you have a favorite destination this summer that didn't previously have service, why, you might give that a check. Best Western wants you to know that if you stay two nights at a Best Western this summer, they have a promotion that will give you a $50 gift card, and you can do it twice. And the even better part of this middle-of-the-road hotel wonderful thing. Most of us stay in Best Westerns at some point in time. Um, you're, you are you have to register if you're not already part of their frequent guest program. But uh, you, have to stay two, you have to stay two nights, but those two nights can be in the same stay. So if you're staying a couple nights in a Best Western and you're not a member of their frequent traveler program, Best Western Rewards, you might want to do that because it'll save you 50 bucks off of your stay. And as I mentioned, you can do this twice over the uh, uh, length of the promotion. And in fact, if you stay four nights in one place, you can claim a $100 uh, rebate from Best Western. So that's not a bad not a bad deal at all. Best Western's uh, program, rewards program, is fairly simple. And uh, so, you know, let's face it, Best Westerns are not always the fanciest hotels in town, but they can be depended on, I think, to be clean and comfortable. That's the one thing mm-hmm. that uh, that is important to me. Uh, as a tour operator. So anyway, good way to to get a few bucks uh, back at the end of your stay at Best Western. And here is the best story of the week. Um, this I consider this a travel story only because in about a month and a half, I will be taking a group of people to Washington State, and we will spend four or five days riding around Puget Sound on a number of the ferry boats there. Mm-hmm. And um, so this is a really cool story. Uh, we will be using the Bainbridge Island Ferry. And this comes in um, yesterday from the ba- from Bainbridge Island. Um, seems like a gentleman and his wife, they knew the baby was coming at some point in time and uh, woke up in the morning and the baby said that today would be the day. So they got, got dressed, got in the car, went down, got in a line at the ferry terminal um, to head into Seattle so that they could go to the hospital. Well, um, the baby's schedule was a little bit different from the ferry boat's <laughs> oh, schedule. <laughs> you can probably guess what the... How this story goes from here, um, the baby decided that indeed while they were waiting for the ferry boat that it would show up on the premises. So um, dad had to jump out of the car, and I can kind of envision this if you've ever waited for a ferry boat in in Washington State. And he's literally yelling, I have an emergency. My wife's having a baby. Is there a doctor anywhere? And indeed, a few lanes over, there was a gal who was a retired EMT. And so she came to... Um, his Come aide the rescue, and the yeah. baby was born. The baby's name name is Charlie, and Charlie is doing extremely well. And uh, Charlie and parents are back home in in uh, Bainbridge Island. But uh, boy, will Charlie's parents have a story to tell him someday? There you about go. How he came into the world in in line in a fer- at a ferry terminal. Right, he didn't make it on the ferry. It just they were in line to get on the ferry. So I, and that the probably ir- was a plus. Is it, yeah. The irony is it that they called an ambulance, and when the ambulance came. They put him on the ferry and went across to oh, Well, perfect. There you go. So anyway, congratulations to, to Charlie and his parents. And with that note, that is your travel news for today. All right. Things to not do when you go to national parks. Mark, you got a 
you know, kind of a, a sad but uh, telling story that uh, hopefully we can learn something from in regards to a, a recent event at one of the national parks. A hundred thousand years ago, I was a Boy Scout. And one of the things that we were taught as Boy Scouts about national parks was take only your memories, leave only your footprints. And that's something I, I if there's anything that I remember from scouting, anytime I go into a national park, I remember that that little piece of, of wisdom um, because you're not supposed to, you know, take the pine cones and stuff out of the park, leave them there. And, um, you know, you're not supposed to leave anything behind either, you know, trash or things of, of that mm-hmm, sort. Mm-hmm. And so most people, I think, uh, on some level, um, adhere to those things. That only applies to national parks, but the state parks and local parks and, you know, any public space that you're sharing with a bunch of other people. Uh, when you go to a national park or some state parks, um, you will frequently encounter wildlife. Mm-hmm. Yellowstone National Park is one place, uh, as I'm sure you know, Tom, that is very much known for the different wildlife that right. inhabit the park. That's what uh, the people hopefully will run across or at least get exactly. a, a glance reasons, from here to there. Yeah, one of the reasons people go to places like Yellowstone is they... You know, let's face it, you're not going to see a buffalo walking down the streets in Sacramento, so you're going to have to go someplace else if you want to see that. Um, You are going, when you go to a national park, in essence, to these animals' homes. So if you think about it just for a second, about, you know, people when they visit your home and the behavior that you expect them to exhibit when they are there, you, you hope that they don't go around and destroy the furniture or take a baseball bat to the lamp or Something like that, because that would be incredibly inappropriate. Right. Um, you may not even want them to touch you, um, which I suppose <laughs> that depends on who the guest is <laughs> and what the circumstances are. But yeah. what I wanted to talk to you a bit about today here is that we have a, a headline. And this comes from NBC News a couple of days ago. Um, baby bison killed after a Yellowstone visitor helped the animal and its herd rejected it. So this is really an example, a really tragic example, unfortunately, of somebody not even really being irresponsible, perhaps, they didn't think, but that's the way it turned out. Um, Calf got separated from its mother when the herd was crossing a river in the northern section of Yellowstone last weekend. This is from a Park Service uh, press release. As the calf struggled to cross the river, a man approached the animal and pushed it up from the river onto a roadway. So obviously a, a person who was somebody who was observing the animals um, decided when they saw the animal in distress that they would go and lend a hand. Seemingly a good thing to do. Not so much. Um, visitors later saw the calf walk up to cars and people and follow them, according to the release. Park rangers tried repeatedly to reunite the calf with the herd, but the efforts failed. Um, because, the, as a release noted, the, the interference from people can call, cause wildlife to reject their offspring. After the failed reunification efforts, park staff killed the newborn because it was abandoned by the herd and causing a hazardous situation by approaching cars and people along the roadway. The Park Service reminds visitors to stay at least 25 yards from all wildlife, uh, including bison, elk, and deer, and 100 yards from bears and wolves. Bears are incredibly fast. So you definitely, that, that, that 100 yard thing, it may seem like a long way, but if a bear decides to come after you, you will find out that 100 yards is not as much as you thought it was. 
Um, so the park uh, said law enforcement officers are seeking more information about uh, the incident. It wasn't clear if the man who pushed the animal onto the roadway could face possible criminal charges. Uh, park spokes- spokespeople did not immediately respond to a request for comment. Um, and this is not to go after the gentleman who helped the animals so much because my guess is that he probably was a pretty decent person and he was probably acting on instinct. But what happens is now that animal smells like a human. And so the the herd said, no, not so much. You're, you're, you've been one of them now, so go on over and stay with wow. them. So the animal has to be put down through no fault of the animal – um, because they were just living in their home, mm-hmm. uh, making their way around. Maybe the calf doesn't make it through the across the river, and the river engulfs it. But ultimately, that was what happened anyway. The animal didn't make it. it, it baby bison? Yes. Okay. Yes. You know, I shared that story with uh, with my wife. Uh, her first comment was, "Didn't they? Couldn't they have taken it to a?" abandoned animal shelter or something and I, and I told her I, I don't know it was, it's complicated and I'm sure if that was available or it was something they could do they would have I'm sure they did what humanely uh, had to be done but bottom line is uh, don't mess with the animals or it could be it could be well tragic. and the, the park service um, officials also referred people to a website which I looked at and has a page explaining that even if an animal is in distress, even if an animal is injured and perhaps dying in a public area, um, they're not going to go help it because that's not part of the cycle of life in that national park. And so when you go there, it's possible that you might see some things that are a little different from other things that you see, but um, some of those things are good. And in this case, somebody did something probably, I'm sure, meaning the animal well. But what it does is point out the fact that really you're just an observer in these wildlife situations. And if you feel the need to do more than that, you know, create a video of you standing next to a buffalo or something like that, you really are putting not only yourself at risk, which is stupid, but if there are, you know, there are stupid people on the planet, we we see these people every day, they walk among us. And so stupidity is one thing. But, you know, if, if if you're intentionally going out, this gentleman was probably trying to help this animal in distress, but there are people with cell phones every day in national parks trying to create situations that are probably not very safe for them or for the animal. So if it's not safe for you, that's one thing. But if you're going to cause the animal to have to be put down because of your actions, then I, I would say you've done something extremely bad. I have I want to shift gears here for a minute. Okay. Uh, from from wildlife to talk about something that happened uh, yesterday in uh, in an airplane that I was in that had never happened before. I've been traveling a long time. I've flown about three million miles around these United States and a few of them overseas. And uh, yesterday we were landing in Kansas City. And the only reason I point this out is because the importance of having your seatbelt on. Um, we're landing on a Southwest Airlines plane. We're coming into the Kansas City airport. The weather is perfect outside. And as we come in, the plane hits the runway pretty hard, bounces once, and then we headed straight back up into the sky. And I'm I'm not talking about just, you know, a gentle climb. It was stairway to heaven. We were going up as, as, as straight up as I'm sure the, the airplane could go. Perhaps there was another plane that was landing or in a landing pattern or something that we had to avoid. Um, the, the pilots, unfortunately, did not tell us when we got off the plane why 
that had occurred. Um, the only thing that, that, that I can share is it appeared when we hit the ground and bounced once, we came in awfully hot. I mean, we, we came in pretty fast, and I don't know if that had anything to do with it at all, but uh, the pilot's judgment obviously was that they had needed to go back up into the sky. But the reason I mention this is because a couple of people near me didn't have their seatbelt on, oh. and they flew up and hit the back of the seat in front of them, and fortunately nobody was hurt. It all happened pretty quickly, so and, and the, the force wasn't probably as strong as it, as it could have been in some situations. But when I saw that, it reminded me, folks, um, you know, I used to have this habit. We were coming in for a landing and, you know, at some point I would unbutton my seat, my seatbelt. Um, this was literally hitting the ground. So if I'd had my seatbelt off, I'd be one of those people with the prearranged nose. So just make sure that the plane is on the ground. And the other thing is let it get to the gate. There's a lot of things that can happen on on taxiways and stuff like that, I've had a couple situations where planes have had to slam on the brakes like you would in an automobile. And, you know, if you don't have your seatbelt on, that can cause you to go flying a little bit. So just it's only one time. It's only one situation. But, you know, it just reminds you that crap happens when you're flying or you're traveling. And uh, protect yourself. Leave that seatbelt on until that light goes off or the flight attendant tells you it's okay. Great story. Wow. That was uh, had to have been a little bit uh, disconcerting there when you uh, hit the ground and take right back off. And I won't even talk to you about the police officer that almost got run over in the crosswalk. I was trying to help us out of the stadium uh, last <laughs> night by a crazy driver in Kansas City. Yeah, we had a really interesting first day of our tour. I'm going to race back and join those folks uh, tomorrow afternoon. Welcome. It's Mark Hoffman and Tom Romano, the Travel and Entertainment Guys, as always, brought to you by Sports Leisure Vacations. Thanks for coming along. Don't forget, links to our special guests can be found at TravelGuysRadio.com. Our special guest this afternoon is Mia Taylor. Mia is a senior writer for a website called Travel Pulse. Let me just tell you this. Um, every week when I start putting together the radio show, I go to the Travel Pulse website to find out what's going on and what I should know about. Mia wrote a wonderful article that we mentioned a little bit last week about what to expect this summer when it comes to air travel delays and cancellations. And she had so much good information in that that uh, we've invited her to come and share some of that with you today and to let you know, too, that at TravelGuysRadio.com, there is a link to this article. So as you're listening or after you're done listening, you can go there and pick up all of this information. She's got some really good stuff there. Mia, welcome to the Travel Guys. Thanks so much, and thanks for that kind introduction about my uh, story. <laughs> oh, you are very welcome. I, I, I really found that it was packed full of information. The official title Air travel delays and cancellations, what to expect this summer, and how to prepare for your flight. Yeah. I note that just yesterday, or maybe it was this morning on CNBC, I saw a note that uh, last weekend more people yeah. passed through TSA than at any weekend since pre right. before pre-COVID. So I'm guessing that's going yeah. to be a lot more fun this coming weekend because it's a holiday weekend. and. So, you know, besides getting there early and stuff like that, you had some wonderful ideas of how people could perhaps avoid some of these situations that that arise every day in airports all around the country. Um, You started out with flying nonstop whenever possible. Totally. Totally. I mean, and that's sort of a no-brainer, as you and I were discussing a little while ago. 
for those of us who travel for a living or, you know, quite frequently. But the thing about nonstop flights and why they're better is because every leg that you add to your trip or you have to land and take off again just adds another possibility that that next flight is going to be delayed or canceled altogether or that the pilots don't show up or that there's mechanical issues with the next plane. Um, so if you can fly nonstop, and I know that for some people it's a budget issue, but if you can fly nonstop, if your budget allows, um, you're just that much more likely to have a smoother trip and get to your destination as expected. You talk about flying early in the day. And for those of us on the West Coast, 6 o'clock used to be the witching hour. Now 5 (laughs) o'clock in the morning is the witching hour. And if you've got a a flight leaving at 5.15, you've got to get out of bed uh, unless you live next door to the airport. You're getting up at 1.30 in the morning. To me, it's almost worse than a red eye. But there are benefits to traveling early in the day. Absolutely. And and like you just illuminated, it is, I mean, I have to get up at 2 in the morning because you want to be there two or three hours ahead of time. So it is a bit of a struggle if you're not a morning person or you're not conveniently located um, near an airport. But the the key there is that that um, plane is already going to be at the gate. It's not coming from somewhere else. Therefore, you're eliminating the likelihood that that plane is getting delayed from somewhere else or weather is impacting that plane as it comes from somewhere else. You just know the gate, the plane is at the gate waiting for you. And the importance of, of weather, not only the weather where you're leaving from or where you're going to, but perhaps the weather where your plane might be coming from. Yeah. I mean, that's what being weather aware is, as one of my experts said in the story, is the biggest wild card whenever you travel, even Memorial Day, all summer long, winter. Um, and as you book your flights, this is one of the tips I give people think, and then you have a connecting flight, think about where that connection is going to take place, because some cities and airports are more prone to weather issues, and therefore your flight may be more likely to be impacted as it connects at this city. So, um, yeah, weather is a big potentially affecting issue with your flights. So think about where you're connecting when you're booking those flights. Yeah, connecting in Phoenix is a little different situation than perhaps connecting in Chicago. Um, right, and I'm excited about because I didn't mention that. Right, so Phoenix, you know, sunny skies nearly all year long. Chicago, not the same. Not the same situation. You're a big fan, Mia, of having the 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 app, the airlines app, on your phone. What's the? I travel with a lot of mature travelers. Apps on mm-hmm. phones are a little bit of a challenge for some of them. Why yeah. is having the airlines app on your phone so important? Right. I totally get that because I travel with my mom who's 80 quite often as a multi-gen traveler, and she doesn't want any part of apps. <laughs> but here's the thing with apps. Um, I have the American Airline app on my phone because I do use them a lot, and they alert me with real-time updates through the app or through text messaging um, hey, your gate's changed. Hey, your flight's been delayed 15 minutes. Or in the worst case scenario, your flight is being canceled. You can go right through the app and handle a lot of those situations rather than have to, if you're in an airport, find the local customer service desk or, you know, call the airport directly. The app allows you sometimes to just rebook quickly. So it's just, you know, real-time updates, keeps you on your toes, and allows you to make that um, change much less stressful. We're talking with Mia Taylor from Travel Pulse. Mia penned an article about air delays and cancellations and is sharing some of her tips with us. And especially, you know, the the app thing really is helpful because in many cases, like you said, you know, your flight is canceled. But here, Mm -hmm. Mr. Hoffman, we've already booked you on this flight. 
The airline app is something that if you if you travel frequently, especially if you have a favorite airline, um, the United mm-hmm. Airlines app allows you to track your plane back sometimes as much as 24 hours. You can see where it's going yeah. and where it's going to be, yeah. where it comes to you before it gets to you. So um, information is knowledge. And if you can see that your plane is getting hung up earlier in the day, then you know that yeah. you might be facing a situation and you might be able to be proactive and, and avoid it. And I would also just add to that, you know, go in with a backup plan. You know, first of all, expect that there may be curveballs. That's just part of the travel process these days. And you have to sort of go in and be prepared to go with the flow. But then also know, like, if your plane does get canceled, can I drive to my destination? Is there a train that would get me to my destination? If, you know, your arrival is time sensitive, sort of be aware of what your options may be. Information is power, definitely. And it's going to be crowded in the skies this summer. It's going to be crowded in the airports. The more you know before you start traveling and the better prepared you are, the less likely you are to get caught in one of those situations. And when you do, you may be able to minimize the inconvenience. Mia, thank you so much for your wonderful article and for your time today. We will track you down again, I'm sure. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure. Mia Taylor from Travel Pulse, thanks for joining us. Once again, here on The Travel Guys. By the way, you can find a link to our special guest and more at TravelGuysRadio.com. Kay Shelton is joining us today. Kay is the president of the Lincoln Highway Association. You may or may not know that the Lincoln Highway was the first official coast-to-coast method of transportation in this country and dates back to the early 1900s, and it passes through Sacramento in a couple of different alignments. And indeed, the Lincoln Highway Group is having a gathering uh, in Folsom in a few weeks. And so we've invited Kay not only to tell us a little about the gathering, but also to tell us a little bit about the old highway, America's first highway. Kay, welcome to the Travel Guys. Thank you. Thanks for having me. So tell us a little bit about this old road. It's very unique and different in some ways, and it is a part of our Sacramento history here. Starts in Times Square. Tell us a little bit about it. Sure. In in 1912, there was an entrepreneur by the name of Carl Fisher, and Carl Fisher was really a visionary. One of the things that he developed with uh, three other partners was what became the Indianapolis 500 race. He also developed the Lincoln Highway and the Dixie Highway, which took travelers to Miami Beach. He was the first major developer of Miami Beach. And he started out in bicycles. He was a bicycle uh, salesperson. And when the automobile came around, he saw the automobile as the future. And he, he correctly picked that and identified that as how people were going to travel. And with the automobile, if you can think back to 1912, there's not very many roads that are paved. And he saw that as a barrier. And if roads could be improved, then people would enjoy driving automobiles. And he and his friends in the blossoming automobile industry would be able to sell more automobiles. But he first knew that roads were an issue. And he, like others involved in what was called the Good Roads Movement, started out in bicycles. If you can imagine being in a muddy road 
in a Model T, imagine how horrible that would be for somebody to try and ride a bicycle. Oh my. Uh, that wasn't going to be very pleasant um, at all. So he came up with this idea of having a road from coast to coast, and he imagined having a way to get from New York City to San Francisco the fastest way. And that's where the idea came from uh, for the Lincoln Highway. So these original roads were not anything like what we have today, or even for those who can think back to the old U.S. 40 um, going into the mountains here. You've got to go back way before that. So what type of highways or you, you said not much was paved. What type of surfaces were these people driving on and how did they they surely didn't build a highway from coast to coast. So how did they create this this method of transportation to get across the country? The best description I've heard of the Lincoln Highway is a patchwork quilt. Um, and that's from a historian named Dwayne Paulson from Dixon, Illinois. And what he and his partner, Henry B. Joy, who became the 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 president of the Lincoln Highway Association after it formed, they looked at where there were already existing roads and trails, and they linked those roads together to find the fastest route. And over time, when other routes became available or there were places where they uh, encouraged people to make them safer. The Lincoln Highway kind of evolved from there in straightening out the route or avoiding places where you have to cross the railroad tracks multiple times or putting in curves. A lot of the early roads followed township lines or farmer property lines, which were kind of square or rectangle-shaped. Well, if you're driving, you, you need to really, really, really slow down at a 90-degree turn. Our special guest here on the Travel Guys is uh, Kay Shelton, president of the Leakin Highway Association. Kay, I, I feel like I've read and heard stories uh, that when people first traveled across the Lincoln Highway, you had to make sure that you had more than four tires or more than eight. You had to carry it because you would blow out these bicycle-type car tires, if you will, on this incredibly rough road. And if you didn't have a lot of spare tires, you weren't going very far, or you'd have to send home for some. Correct. Um, so a lot of the, the towns, not all places in the early days had an automobile repair shop. Now they're more plentiful because it's their vehicles are are more plentiful. So you had to be able to fix the tire yourself. You had to be able to change the tire yourself. There's no cell phone, so you can't call somebody to come out with a tow truck and change the tire for you. So you and you can't walk ten miles back to town or a repair if that town didn't happen to have an automobile repair place in the first place. Mm -hmm. um, wow. So a lot of the early motorists, yes, they needed to be very self-sufficient 
they needed to be able to change tires. A lot of times the early road, some of them had gravel, some of them had you know, very rough areas. Is is a lot more. E- it was a lot easier to to blow out a tire by running over something. Okay, let's let's shift gears here for a minute. Um, you've kind of given us a little bit of a description of what travel was like on this highway over a hundred years ago. Um, the Lincoln passes through Sacramento in a couple of different ways and comes down um, highway what is now Interstate 80, used to be US 40. Before that was the Lincoln. Um, we have Highway 50, which goes to South Lake Tahoe, which also was one of the alignments of the Lincoln. Can you can you give us just a, a, a brief? synopsis of the California section of the road? Sure. So Lincoln Highway in California, there's two major routes. And the original route goes through places like the northern side of Lake Tahoe. They kind of come together in the Sacramento area. And uh, as they were looking for the fastest route to get to San Francisco, they added a newer, faster way to go through places like Davis and Vacaville, uh, Fairfield, and goes through and enters on the northern side uh, of San Francisco. Uh, the original route goes through Stockton and Tracy and then comes in along uh, more of a southern route into San Francisco. And both routes kind of split but come together in the Fallon area of Nevada. And then there are some places where they connect uh, Reno and Carson City. My favorite section of Lincoln Highway goes along Lake Tahoe. So Route 50 along the edge of Lake Tahoe, that is Lincoln Highway. Um, And it may may not be signed uh, all the time, but that is Lincoln Highway. And then up in the northern side of Lake Tahoe, there's just a beautiful area up in the mountains up near uh, Truckee. And that goes through just some incredibly scenic uh, places in California. We're talking with Kay Shelton about the Lincoln Highway. Their annual conference is going to be held in Folsom in a couple of weeks. Um, It's not something that local people can necessarily participate in, but driving the old highway is something that you could do. And that's what we're talking about here is um, being able to – you can go to TravelGuysRadio.com. If you're an off-the-road person, if you're the kind of person who loves off-the-beaten-track places, um, go to TravelGuysRadio.com. We have put a couple links there to Lincoln Highway to the map and to the website so that you can learn a little bit more about this amazing piece of Sacramento history. We talk about the Transcontinental Railroad. And we talk about the Pony Express, which are two things that terminated here in Sacramento. The Lincoln terminates in San Francisco, but nonetheless, as Kay was describing, um, a couple of routes through Sacramento. And for those of you who are familiar with the Lake Tahoe area, indeed, the old Pioneer Trail up there is part of the original Lincoln Highway. And there's a there's an old lodge at the summit, an Echo Summit Lodge, which I was just at last Saturday, Tom, when we mm-hmm, were up there mm-hmm. doing our, our scouting for the... Uh, trips that the field trips that the folks that attend the conference are going to make and there are a lot of great things along 50 and 80 that those of us who just drive down the interstate never even know about so if you're an off the beaten track person this is something you would really enjoy Kay, before i let you go i want to ask you um you live in illinois near um near joliet which is one of the great 
old highway places as we were we were talking about there. What caused you to get interested in being a part of the Lincoln Highway Association group? You're a volunteer. This must take up a tremendous amount of your time. Uh, you must have a great passion. How did you get into this? Well, a couple of decades ago, I live on Lincoln Highway in DeKalb, Illinois. In DeKalb, Lincoln Highway is Main Street. There is no Main Street in, in DeKalb. It's, it's Lincoln Highway. And it was thought of as really kind of a local road. And I taught uh, anthropology and geography uh, at a community college in the next town over. And the students in the Honor Society worked together, and they put in a historical marker for the Lincoln Highway right on the campus. And I thought, hey, I teach geography. I should find out more about this because this is right in my backyard, and it's also my address. So I went to a Lincoln Highway Association meeting in Rochelle, Illinois, and I got um, introduced to the Lincoln Highway Association and did some volunteer work there. Uh, and became more knowledgeable about the Lincoln Highway. Eventually, after a couple of decades of learning about the the highway and our organization, uh, I was elected president, and I've been uh, president for a while. So it all comes back to a group of college students working to put in a historical marker for the Lincoln Highway. That's a great story. Kay, we look forward to welcoming you and other folks from literally from all across the country, um, they're going to be in Folsom in a few weeks. They're taking uh, a car tour to uh, to San Francisco um, on a, at the beginning and at the end. There are motor coach tours that will take them up the old highway to uh, the Donner and Lake Tahoe areas. Um, they're going to be. We were just out scouting that out last week. And I know that the folks who come all of this way are really going to be pleased. Um, it's going to be a great place to be in late June. The weather should be great. There's still plenty of snow in the mountains, and uh, everything will be will be super beautiful there. And I can look out my window. My my office is just about half a block off of Folsom Boulevard here, which is uh, part of the one of the stretches of the old Lincoln Highway uh, here coming into Sacramento. Okay, thank you for your time. Today, I hope you have a wonderful conference. Thanks for sharing a little bit of Sacramento history with us. Thank you. Thank you very much. Mark, I have to ask you, have you traveled the old Lincoln Highway? I have. When the highway had its centennial, which would have been uh, 2012, would have been a century-year-old, we did a series of three tours. Literally, it took us three 10-day tours to get all the way across the country because the Lincoln is different from, like, uh, some of the other original highways were actually highways. Lincoln Highway was a concept of we need people to be able to travel across the country. And as Kay mentioned, uh, people who had automobile interests, you know, it was in their best interest for people to buy more automobiles because they sold spark plugs or tires Mm -hmm. or whatever. And so let's cobble together and make this into a road. Even if it maybe isn't officially a road, it'll be a way to get across the country. So that's what makes the Lincoln really different from the other highways is that it goes into all kinds of nooks and crannies all over the country. And if you ever have the time to be able to travel it, I I highly recommend a trip down the old Lincoln Highway for certain. Uh, We are just about out of time for this edition of the Travel Guys. I want to remind you to dance like nobody's watching. That's a wrap. You stay well, my friends. Join us next week on The Travel Guys. We're going to dig into the mailbag. Bye for now. See you next time.